Hello and welcome to the Orlando Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady. I'm here with my illustrious co-host, Matt Scott. I am here. And we are, we're going to start off with a rant warning because this is pretty much... I suspect. Yeah, that it's, this it's going to be a, a bit gatekeepy and a bit ranty. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to have some fun today talking about the things that we're told that we need to overland, but that we actually don't, don't actually need, yeah. which is essentially everything. Given yeah, the fact it's a lot, given it's the, weird, given the fact that people have, have traveled around the world on a stock motorcycle. So Yeah. So. And, I, and I think, you know, one of the conversations we were having before we did this is that we've realized this huge kind of growing divide between people who are actually traveling that I call overlanders. Sure. And for the purposes of this conversation, it's the guys that aren't doing it full time and aren't doing it often that have the most things that they need so much stuff. And that's the reason why we wanted to do the podcast is that if you look at the Instagram feeds, it's, it's always these very overbuilt vehicles. Mm. It's all of this pressure to purchase all of these things. And one of the goals 20 years ago when we started all of this stuff, and you've been involved with it for over a decade yeah. with the content that we produce. And the goal has always been to, in, to reinforce that travel is the goal. So we've talked about this before, but I guess like the first checkpoint along the way is to ask yourself, am I spending more money on the vehicle than I am on traveling? Yeah. And maybe make that just be, if that's like the one thing that everybody takes away from this conversation of, because think about it, if somebody's got tons of cash and they want to have a super fancy vehicle, that's fine. Yeah. But they're at least they're able to still travel the way that they want to travel. For sure. I mean, and I'll call myself out here. Like most listeners know, I travel in an earth roamer. <laughs> I, I have a wine rack. I have the fancy lights that we're going to we're going to kind of riff on. <laughs> I have a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I like to think that we use it. But, uh, but you also know you don't need it. I don't need it. Yeah. And I think that that's for me too. I mean, if I look back at my earliest, all of my earliest overland project vehicles, they were terrible. I mean, they were so overloaded, overdone. I remember they weren't like terrible. They were pretty terrible. You've been on Instagram lately. They were pretty terrible. They were pretty terrible. If I look at my, at my Tacoma, it was like, just as bad as all the ones of today where I mm. I was way over payload. Yeah. I had, I don't remember the brand of the lights, but I had like four spot beams on like this. Oh, you had the Hellas on like there, the, the OGs oh, or something. I, that pre-runner rack? Like this big pre-runner light rack. Yeah. It was terrible. I mean, I like, I drilled through the roof of my truck and like had to build in all of this yeah. structure for lights that I turned on for a couple photographs. Like they were never necessary. Yeah. So I just think back on so many of my own projects. And then recently, my vehicles basically are staying stock. Like the AT4 put on a nice suspension, just something that helped give me a little bit of lift and some better yeah. payload. And you didn't even have anything on that. I had you nothing. Used the crap I, out of it. I didn't do anything to the car. So I put some nice tires on it. That was it. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. So obviously, we've we've both been in the the like. The, the traveler overland community for quite a while. And a lot of this podcast started, I occasionally rant about things on my Instagram. And uh, again, you, Matt, you never rant. Oh yeah, I do. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was funny. So all of these like, like legitimate traveler friends start messaging me and I have start having all these amazing conversations on how you just don't need this stuff and how, how a lot of the way people are building, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing to me. So like the way, let's just say there's the travelers and the non-travelers, the way the non-travelers are building their vehicles, who honestly are the people who have kind of the lion's share of influence. Mm-hmm. 
they honestly get made fun of by the travelers. You know, you see this like built Tacoma with long travel and six or seven lights on the roof and a pillar lights and light bars in the bumper and fog light LEDs. If you're like, I want to build my truck. It's become cliche. Yeah. Let's sure. say it that way. It's like yeah. people are just building things in such a certain way that they actually have no use for that is like very interesting. Like when I see. Do you think it's social pressure? Do you think I think it's I think it's a lot of social pressure. And I think I think that we should dive into this. You know, let's let's look at like the Instagram thing. So, you know, there's there's the influencers, friends with a lot of these people, great people. But but how it works is they'll get approached by lighting company A, suspension company B, or whatever. And a lot of these guys are getting paid. There's there's influencers that all of the people listening to this podcast probably follow that I know are making a hundred thousand dollars from just like to run this widget. And it's crazy. And, and it starts to influence this and create this new norm of what people think is, is reality and that that's what they need, but it's really just marketing companies have. And like, Hey, I did it. I did it too uh, with, with max tracks, but you know, you're, you're leveraging audiences to, although you don't pay people to run. We've max never tracks. paid somebody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we sponsor X Overland, but um, well, no, that's advertising. That's advertising. Yeah, we we you we, don't, we you always don't, had a you thing don't do of influencer marketing. I, I don't. I don't. Again, I don't. I don't know what the new direction for Max Tracks will do. But we we had a policy of just like authentic people, you know, using this stuff. But now it there's there's the overland market's big, and people are actually getting paid to have these products, and that's fine. People have to make a living, and you know, photography is hard, and creating this content is 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 work. But it's important for people to recognize reality and advertisement. So you start seeing um, very complex electrical systems popping up on every influencer's feed. And now like that's kind of the norm and the trend. And it's very stylish to talk about those types of things. Do you really need them? Like that's, that's the question is, and, and to stop myself, there's need and then there's want. Like if you're just a dude that wants to sit in his garage and build a truck, cause that's what in, you enjoy. Cool. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Like totally get it. But there's a lot of people that are making these modifications and trying to justify them under the pretense of actually using them. And maybe the key to it is make sure that when you go on Instagram, look up a bunch of travelers that are somewhere in the world. Yeah. So look at Dan Grek or, you know, look at Graham and Louisa. Look at yeah. they have some modifications mm-hmm. on their vehicles, but they are very, very minimal yeah. in how they're modified. And then there's an equal number of them that are traveling around the world in stock Land Cruisers. Or, I mean, there's people traveling around the world in minivans now, yeah. like, or, or on motor. Like, I always love, I always love the motorcycle people because you just can't put that much crap on a bike. So it's so pure to me. Yeah. And it works and they go around the world. Yeah. I think when we look at Instagram, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with following the fancy forerunner build, but also follow the family or like look at Ray and Marianne Highland, you know, they they go the entire length of the Silk Road in a 1950s, you know, series one, one 54 series one. I think that they restored on the road, like their (laughs) rear main seal was a leather hat from India (laughs) in India. That's right. Exactly. And, and they didn't need any of the things that we're going to talk about. And they had an incredible experience as a family. If you look at some of these forerunners or some of these Tacomas, they're 120, $130,000 vehicles. If you had bought a motorcycle, you could have gone, bought the motorcycle, ridden around the world, had an incredible experience yeah. And spent less money. You bring it, you brought up like the social pressure. It's almost like people are competitively, humans are competitive creatures. Sure. And we're trying to introduce competition into overlanding or something yeah. like, 
I have to have this or this guy has this on. I'm going to get more likes. I mean, I now get ads for enthusiasts building their trucks just so they can get more. Like I've started taking screenshots of it because I just like I don't believe that like Bob's forerunner, like he's running ads to try and get get his numbers up to pump his numbers up because that's what's like valuable. And that's that's like the concerning thing for me. And isn't that just a vanity metric at the end of the day? Yeah. You know, like the number of followers is very much a vanity metric. Yeah. And and fortunately, larger. But but it's but it's it's just interesting. Like it's really split. Like there's the travelers and the non-travelers. And this is a podcast for the travelers. Sure. This is for people that I don't think that you have to drive to, you know, the skeleton coast or something like we're not saying that it doesn't matter if you're just going out on the weekend. You could never leave your state. You, you ever leave your state. Yeah, I mean, in sure. Arizona, you could spend so much. Spend a lifetime. A lifetime. Right. Do the exploring again, maybe coming back to asking, am I spending more money on the vehicle than I am on my experiences in life? If you start with that one, it's probably a pretty good balance. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm spending more money on fuel and buying groceries and, and getting my kids the hats and, you know, headlamps that they need in order to yeah, go camping. And, you know, like, are you spending money on the actual experience or are you spending money on mm. a set of lights that you'll probably never turn on yeah. other than to take some photos? It's interesting. Like I, I, I had a, I had a, you know, it's Baja seems to be like this very aspirational yeah, location place, sure. location yeah. for, for people to go in North America. And it's, it's great. Like busy now, but, uh, uh, it's great. And it seems that that's the impetus for a lot of these things. I need long travel because I'm going to Baja. I need these lights because I'm going to Baja. One, like nine out of 10 travelers I ask, do you drive at night in Baja? It's not only good. if I'm going to get a, beer. It's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. Yeah. There's donkeys on the road. And I mean, people think it's like banditos or something. And like, that's, it's so rare that no, no, like that it's actually like, have. it's the fact that there's like a donkey on the road or drunk people a, and cattle. or a drunk yeah. person. Um, I post this Instagram rat and I have all these like desert racers that are like, yeah, like we see these vans with five, six, seven lights above the windshield. I'm like, like, yeah, we use that stuff when we're doing 120 mile an hour <laughs> in a trophy right. truck or, you know, class, whatever, because we run out of light. That van is not going to go over 25 mile an hour off road, lest a pan hits you in the back of the head. Like, like there's a house there, dude. <laughs> it's like, so literally it's, it's, it's literally a, a modification that you only would need to go fast. And the vehicle can't do the that. vehicle is incapable of doing it. Yeah. So it's thing it's, it's modifications like that, that I look at and I'm just like, where is this coming from and why is it such a fashion trend? Cause it, yeah. cause when something isn't, I mean, I'm going to generalize here, but if it doesn't have a practical purpose, it's probably not unfair to call it a fashionable thing. You see this with so much stuff these days and like how many, you know, sun faded roto packs are out there yeah. that have never had fuel or water in them. Yeah. I, I don't know that I, I've never liked the idea of like having water on the side of your vehicle. Oh, Hey, do you want to come overlanding in Moab with us? And I'm like, uh, wheeling, we're going to go wheeling. We're going to go four wheeling. Like, that and that's fun. totally fine. <laughs> that sounds fun. It's fascinating. So the lights is a good one. Let's start with the lights. Oh, you, actually we decided the first thing that you don't need that people tell you need that you don't need to go overlanding is an Instagram account. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> Like yeah. people have actually gone entirely around the world and no one has ever known other than their families that get like a text message update with some photos. So selfish. It's so great. Like I love the community that Instagram has brought together. Oh, big time. I totally um, enjoy it, but you don't need it and you don't need to broadcast your trips. It can just be about you and your family. Yeah. You can make it this personal journey of discovery and no one ever needs to know that you did it. I mean, like I said, we, we've both been in this space for a while. 
on my side, I've been interviewing travelers for 10 years and I have seen so many people ruin their trip because they're not actually like, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to say this, maybe it's controversial, but deep down inside, it doesn't feel like they're doing it for themselves. Yeah. It feels like they're doing it to prove it to somebody or to gain notoriety, to get their 15 minutes of fame. And they spend more time documenting the trip for other people to bear witness to, to say, Hey, I've done this. than they actually do enjoying their trip. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the first thing that kind of goes wrong. Like if you're going through all this effort and it's not easy to travel overland around the world, like it's not easy to go through borders. It's not easy to do these things. So I think it's, it's again, it's like that balance of like, are you giving yourself enough time to yeah. enjoy the experience? Are you not, like you said, spending 40 hours a week for a thousand people on Instagram? Like it's a lot of work. Yeah. It, it, you could it, be doing other things. It really, it really can be. And, it, and money and, to travel. Like that's just a, 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 we don't live in a utopia where. Yeah, on the phone where you can see your screen time, it is such an incredible yeah. tool. And it was the reason why I took Instagram and everything off of my personal phone is because I realized I was spending hours a day. You habitually just start going to the app. Like yeah. I will delete the, my thing is I will delete the app when I'm busy. I can always redownload it. Sure. It doesn't get rid of my account. I can check it on my computer, but I've now started putting it in a folder because it's that simple yeah. second step. You don't see it and habitually click it. Yeah. I think for me, like I only put them on there when I'm on the road because yeah. I don't otherwise... If I'm in the office and stuff, it just sits on the iPad because I want to have it be difficult to get on and start to scroll. Yeah. And I've gained so much time back and I've been able to use that for my health or yeah. to read during the day. And those are things that I love more than being on social media. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was the first thing is you don't actually need an Instagram account to yeah. go around the world. The next one, and we've talked about lights a little bit, but the next one on my list is long travel. So... It's interesting how much, because it's extremely expensive. I mean, and extremely, if you go on the Instagram, it's, it's very common with non-traveling overlanders. Yeah. Some of these long travel suspension kits are seven, eight, nine thousand dollars $9,000. Yeah. That is enough money to drive all the way to Panama and ship back. You can yeah. do that for $10,000. So. And again, it's this split between the traveling overlanders and the the non-traveling overlanders. Like, I don't know how else to politely say it, but well, and, and our hope is that someone that's listening that sees all of this pressure to get a long travel suspension and all of the arguments that these influencers yeah. make of why you should. And of course, all of those arguments are entirely false. You do not need, you can drive around the world in a stock land cruiser. Yeah. You can drive around the world in a stock Tacoma. Mm -hmm. um, you can do a lot of challenging back roads in both of those vehicles and never modify them at all. I think for us, it's about dispelling this myth that you do. Yeah. The reality is that this suspension systems are incredibly expensive. They're incredibly complex. They cannot be serviced internationally or in the field. So if you blow out that crazy coilover remote reservoir, yeah. whatever, and you're down in Honduras, you're not going to get a replacement. However, if you have a Tacoma or a Forerunner, there is a Prado 120 or Prado 150 that it'll swap directly over with. You take out mm. you take out the strut and you put it into your car and you're back on the road. Same thing with the Tacoma. But these crazy suspensions, how in the world do you fix them? Well, so let's talk about the like how we got here. I think isn't maybe where yeah. we can add some value is off-road industry, mid early 2000s, pre-running was the 
whatever overlanding is now, it was like pre-running and rock crawling. You ended up with all of these companies, 2008, 2009, who started buying Forerunners, who started buying Tacomas, who started buying this. There was customers and there was a myth created that you needed these items to go off-road through, again, very you know, clever marketing and mm-hmm. leveraging uh, influential people in the industry. And it wasn't that long ago that like that definitely wasn't overlanding. Like I remember when the cream of the crop was like old man emu suspension. Cause it still it was, is. It still is. <laughs> it still but it was, like the it way was to go. durable and it, you know, they it's had, the way to go. they had different spring rates for adjusting uh, ride height with different cargo capacities. And that was always kind of like the, the gold standard. That's and now needed. it's like, I need to have, you know, these uniball upper control arms. They just squeak. They're like t- the, the t- polyurethane rattle and squeak the polyurethane bushings and the uniball it works in a race truck where it's going to yeah. have a 500 mile service life and then they're going to rebuild all of it mm-hmm. like the thing that you drive back and forth to work you don't want it to be squeaking and rattling on the yeah. 101 for your entire commute i i, I understand that you need to uh, you know if you're going to lift your vehicle you need to adjust your geometries and, and correct yeah, all that. Of course. But, but again, lift lift the vehicle an inch or two and then put a slightly taller tire on it, an inch or two taller tire, mm-hmm. and you're done. It's like it's gonna take you everywhere you want to go and you're gonna spend tens of thousands of dollars less. So there's nothing wrong with a suspension upgrade to match the payload that you have or the weight that you need in the vehicle, level the vehicle, provide yourself with a little bit more ground clearance if that's important to you. And there's nothing even wrong with premium suspension. So instead of going with the bypass remote reservoir, long travel with the hydraulic jounce and the upper control arms and the wide track and the additional CV, just go with a nice BP-51 or or like an Eibach or just go with like a, there's a simple, Yeah, there's a lot of brands out there. There's a key and they're simple and serviceable. Yeah, they're like 700 bucks. Yeah. They're like, like totally affordable. The Mojave Road is not a race course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially not a race course. Like that would actually be a great bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the reality of it is that national forest, most public lands that are when you're on a dirt road, most of them have speed limits of 25 miles an hour. Yeah. So if you're going faster than 25 miles an hour, you're breaking the law and you're endangering the other recreationists that are out there with you. So and, and, and there's there's this whole there's this whole movement. Like if you want to drive really, really fast off road through the desert, have you ever heard of desert racing? <laughs> exactly. You can actually do that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And you can go by like for you could get into desert racing and like a in a Volkswagen bug. I mean, look at like class. 11, Emmy yeah. Hall just ran the hoopty class at the mint so 400. Awesome. So awesome. she's into that into that Miata, maybe 10 grand. Yeah. That is the cost of suspension on, you know, some of these (laughs) on one corner, on one corner, on some (laughs) of these trucks. If you have that disposable income, go racing. Do something different. But we're, we're making these overlandings hot. The off-road industry changed. This was the new trend. Yeah. And, and all of these rock crawling companies and desert racing companies and this and that, and pre-runner guys, they all jumped on this bandwagon, right? Sure. So now like the American Overland truck is like the suspensions desert racer, the, you know, the gearings rock crawler, it's got 37s on it and it yeah. has trophy truck lights. Like it has all of these things that were never, never really need, intended never need, for, or needed to or begin needed? with. Yeah, sure. The only time that I've ever had to have an extremely modified vehicle is in the, the high latitudes. Mm-hmm. So like if you're crossing Greenland, you got to have 44s. You're not going to make it. Yeah. You have to run it. What? Three PSI? Yeah. Or less. Yeah. There were many days that we ran less than that. You just don't need 
a heavily modified vehicle. I mean, yeah. the 70 series trucks that we used for E7, they had a 50 millimeter lift. Like it, they went from a 235 235 85 yeah to a 255 85 yep. that was it <laughs> like same exact setup i put on my troopie <laughs> and it, it worked like it worked everywhere in yeah. the world including the canning stock route and challenging terrain mm-hmm. the only place it didn't work was antarctica we had to put on big tires that was it yeah <laughs> so well, kind of needed little yeah, pizza, got, pizza cutters on is snow it, is it gonna work <laughs> it isn't gonna work yeah okay so there we've covered the long travel save the 10 grand Put it or, in your or if you're buying a race truck, like, or, that's awesome. Go, yeah. go buy a race truck. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the next thing we have on our list is the B-Locks. Oh, God, I hate them. <laughs> like, I love them because they're they're this, like, very technical, like, I, I see the appeal. And I, and I think we should stay. Although, we have both had them. Like, I had Hutchinson's because yeah. I wanted them forever. Very few, yeah. And, and they very, were the worst wheels I've ever had in my life. I could not get them balanced despite the effort. yeah. So did you did you ever get yours balanced? I figured out how to balance them. Okay. There's two kinds of beadlocks, right? The Hutchinsons that that Scott and I are talking about are an actual proper beadlock. Yeah, they right? capture the inner and outer bead. Yes. And they so can they even have a run three flat. piece beadlock so that one portion of the wheel has a seal in it and actually unbolts. So you yeah. could plop the tire on an insert actually goes into it and then the face of the wheel sandwiches it together. Yep. For simplification, that's how it works. Then there's bead locks that provide on the outside lip a little additional grip surface, right? I mean, they just prevent the outside of the tire from rolling off. There's no protection on the inside. If you're going to run bead locks, run an actual bead lock. Don't just put a. Well, some of them do. Some of them do have the outer bead locks. They do capture the entire bead of the. Tire. But how are they capturing the inside? Like what's so preventing there's a it face. from pushing in? There's there a is? face. And then the outer ring hmm. clamps it to the outer face of the wheel. But to your point, the inner bead is not retained. So, so it's half bead locked. It's, it's, yeah, anyway. it's like half locked. It is in the area that you need it the most because when you're coming up against a rock, you're pressing up against a rock. Yeah. It's going to be trying to de-bead the outer rim, part of the rim. Or if you're turning on sand and snow or at high speed on the dirt at low pressures, all of that pressure is put on the outer bead, most of it. Here's what I've learned about bead locks is when we went to Tuk 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 this summer, we needed to rotate tires. We couldn't find anybody to touch it because they were bead locks. Even yeah. though they were DOT compliant bead locks, I mean, the U.S. military runs these, these particular things, not a single tire shop in Canada or Alaska that we... I mean, I'm sure that there would have been some guy or whatever, but you're passing through, you're traveling and, and you end up with who you end up yeah, with. If you go to Can- Canadian Tire, they're not going to touch it. Wouldn't touch it. Wouldn't touch it. They were also Continental MPTs and yeah, you know, these, these nasty tires, things. Yeah. Like definitely could have found, I, I could have found somebody, but you couldn't just like roll in easy, you know? So serviceability for those is questionable. And they require a lot more maintenance than people think. Uh, the one failure that I've had with a bead lock is because I didn't do that every 500 mile torque check on yeah. the bolts and I had some bolt heads break off. It took me a while. Instant flat. <laughs> yeah. It took me a while when we were back from this trip and we replaced the tires and this isn't to comment on, on the shop that did it, but it took them multiple times to get it right because they're just so finicky. Everything's got to be perfect. You know, you have a, you're, you're trying to sandwich this, this wheel face into the, the, the inner ring. And sometimes that the O-ring comes out of its channel 
you know, they're it's, brutal. It's brutal. It's brutal. Um, they take a lot of work and but, I want, I wanted them so badly yeah. on my G wagon and I could not wait to get them off. Like I could not get them to, ba- to balance for a daily driver, you know, like yeah. driving around Prescott, it was fine driving off road. It was amazing. Uh, but they were super heavy. Mm. They were super expensive. So they my G wagon didn't have a lot of power or big brakes like yours did. So like it stopped poorly. It accelerated even worse. My last G wagon had smaller brakes and less horsepower. Yeah, that's true. And it had bead locks. Do as we say, not as we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. Like the reason why we're saying all of this stuff is We've made I have literally made every single one of these mistakes. Yeah. Everything on this list, I have screwed up royally, and that's why I'm 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 thinking like how many trips did I not take, or how many experiences did I give up yeah. to have some, or even the time it takes to put this stuff on. It's like it all. It's the time takes, for takes, me. It takes something from I us. I don't. I'm. I'm getting so tired of just managing all of these systems yeah. on a vehicle. Yeah. So bead locks. They. They do have their place in extreme rock crawling. They are cool. We for totally sure. agree that they're like, cool. They look great. <clears throat> but even when we were running at two psi on forty fours in Antarctica, we did not have bead locks. Yeah. They use like a special uh, kind of mounting fluid that creates a little bit of adhesion as it dries. Okay, interesting. And then there are new wheel designs. Method, for example, has what's and they're, they're not affiliated with the podcast. It's just that they have trail gripper, some grip, knurling bead grip technology um, where they have tighter tolerances uh, to the tire. So slightly oversized. So it puts more pressure on it. And then it has like this little scalloping along the surface that creates some additional grip. I just, I cannot see somebody traveling overland that would need more than that because they don't need it to begin with, but it's completely, it's a completely passive technology. It doesn't add any weight. (laughs) And and here's the other thing too. I have had tires come off the bead. Absolutely. Like multiple times in my travels, I would say less than five times. It is never difficult to get it back on. Like you clean out the wheel, you run a ratchet strap around the center of the carcass, you tighten it up. So it starts to force the beads out yep. and then you spray some water on it and you kind of shake the tire back and forth as you're adding air. And it's like, next thing you know, and how many of those times are in sand, <laughs> like, full throttle, full lock, yeah. trying to get a cool photo. Yeah. You know, probably most like, of them. One that comes to mind specifically that was that, <laughs> that was that with a, with a heavy 200 series Land Cruiser. It's just not a big deal when it happens. Yeah. And then it's something that you learn or you just put on your spare and you take it to the next tire shop you see and they fix it for you. Yeah. It's just not a big deal. Let's, let's use Baja. For example, there is a tire shop. Yeah. Every, (laughs) there's more tire shops and gas stations. Yeah, that's right. Like, like there's a A little Yanteria that's like right there. Yeah. And there's usually a great taco shop right next door. You stop, you get your tire fixed. You have a taco. Life is fantastic. So that's, that's beadlocks. All right. we, We do have lights next. Oh, people love their lights, though. They just love like, them. Like I get It's a safety like, thing. It's a safety thing is why you have to have them. You have yeah. to be able to see. Yep. You have to. Yes. So I, I, started, I started actually thinking about this, and I don't drive at night. Like, generally speaking, I'm exploring during the day. I'm driving from A to B. Yeah. And, you know, when you're traveling and you're camping. Yeah. So like, I do think like scene lights, like a, like a light on Camp your truck or backup Camp lights light. or backup yeah. light. Like yeah. I think that that stuff's incredibly useful, Uh-huh. but why does your van have trophy truck lights on it? <laughs> I think it's cause it looks cool. It's it gotta, looks like, I it's guess gotta, it looks cool. That's gotta be what it is. Or someone told them that they needed to have them 
you know, or it's like, oh, there's, there's animals on the road in, yeah. in Baja. You're like, you're really, it's really not a good idea to be driving at night in Baja. It's just not a good idea. Those roads are very narrow. You don't really drive at night in Africa either. You like, don't really drive at night anywhere because the reason why we're traveling is to see things at night. You don't get to experience anything. Yeah. So like on the occasion that you have to drive at night, just drive a little slower. Yeah. Just like, like, which you should be doing anyways at night. Yeah. Just like, drive a little bit not, slower. Like if you're again, if you're just if you're just having fun and you're building a truck, we're not like actually <laughs> talking to you again. I'm going to reiterate this. I'm going to continually reiterate this. This is an overland podcast for travelers. Yeah. Right. And what we're trying to make sure that people know is despite of everything you see and professional opinions, so-called professional opinions, you don't like, well, I mean, I guess on my last big trip, I was in 24 hour sunlight for like a month. So I didn't really have (laughs) another thing. That's another thing. (laughs) Like, so if you're staying in North America and you're traveling North in the summer, you're never going to use them. And then if you're traveling South in the winter, you're probably not going to be driving at night. The other thing that I found is I put all of those fancy lights on top of my Tacoma. As soon as you turn them on, you, you it was undrivable because yeah. it was yeah. so much reflection off of the hood and it like filled the entire cab with this insane glow. On the on the Gladiator, I had this like empty space between the the, the roof of the cab and the camper. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like everybody's telling me I need to put a light bar there. So I put a super fancy light bar there. It was incredibly impressive when I used it in my driveway. (laughs) I just, I never, I never actually was in a situation where I could use it because, oh, and this actually goes somewhere. So I was never in a situation where I could use it because it was just too bright. Like you can only use it off-road. No one can be in front of you. Yeah. Because if there's a, if you're on a trail run or you're traveling with a friend and you turn that on, they did not have eyeballs anymore. <laughs> like, like the, the light was going to hit their, their rear view mirror and it was going to vaporize their eyes. Like, it's not to say that the technology is not cool or whatever, but I won't put another one on because there was, there were so few situations. Yeah in which I could actually use it, that it wasn't, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And and modern vehicles have such great headlights now. Oh my God. The prospector, like the headlights turn, you know, lighting, lighting technology is one of those things that does trickle down. The new Jeep Wrangler with the LED lights, they're just really good. Really like, good. I, I've broken the golden rule and I've driven, okay, the one time I drove at night in Baja, south of San Felipe, I was coming north and the gas station in uh, Gonzaga was closed for like lunch. Like it always is, yeah. Yeah, like close for dinner or something and we had to wait for two hours and that we wanted to make it to San Felipe. I actually, well, one, like the only weird experience I've ever had in Baja is this was a couple of years ago and it was after the hurricane came through and washed out all the bridges south of San Felipe, between San Felipe and, and Gonzaga. And I had a dude like in his car, like, I don't know what was really going on and I don't want to I don't want to say carjacking and I don't want to say yeah. those things, but there's really only, super unusual there's behavior. only really one reason that a, that a Corolla, like a clapped out Corolla pulls in front of you when you're going around, think of it as in like an underpass, like the bridge sure. was whatever, uh, washed out. So they were like, I'm going to say hiding under there, pull out in front of me. And then a guy with another thing comes out with like a strobe flashlight trying to blind me. So then that was the one time I used my lights because I'm driving really fast back to San Felipe. But I pull into San Felipe and a Federale tries to shake me down because I have auxiliary lights on my car <laughs> that aren't covered. Yeah. And then a Mexico City guy comes over and it's like, just leave now. He's like, yeah. he was trying, do you know why he's doing that? He's like, he was, you had your auxiliary lights on. And I only had two little like small 
yeah. auxiliary. This is pre-light bar. And I got shaked down. It wasn't worth it. <laughs> it wasn't worth the squeeze. Yeah. So like in Mexico, from what the, the federale told me is that it is illegal to have uncovered auxiliary lights on your vehicle. Yeah. And they can, they can and will shake you down when, for When that. you're on the road, for yeah. sure. Even though I think, I think, I forgot which ones I had on the Jeep. Like, weren't they like the factory, like could be Jeep factory performance fogs, part one? Yeah. They're literally like a factory light. They're targets for theft. Like, I mean, you can get those berry nuts and uh, there's ways to lock them on there, but it's again, it's a lot of money driving lights it's a and lot a set of, of fog lights. Nobody's talking about that. It's the, and that's a great place to start or even, even start with putting in some premium fog lights yeah, and then drive the car and see how it works yeah. and like, Oh, this works really nice and I'm done. And then maybe you consider a nice set of driving lights, mm-hmm. the six light bars, the light bar inside the hood, the light bar on top of the, like, you know, and then, and then on the lights too, is people replace the fog lights with some kind of drop in led pod, but they don't do the SAE society of automotive engineers approved so basically, like, it's a way of saying that it's road legal. Sure. The pattern is dispersed enough. Doesn't mean that it's not bright, but it's dispersed enough that you can actually use it on the road. So let's say, like, you're not driving around the world and you're a normal person like we all are and it's foggy outside and you hit your fog lights and all of a sudden, one, you can't see because fog lights are meant to, they're, they're very specific in how they work to cut the through the fog. and everything, yeah. And the cutoff and everything. So now you just can't see and the people in front of you can't see. <laughs> yeah. Because they're blinded by this like yellow uh, orb of, (laughs) of light. So then you end up with a vehicle that's in the practical situation where on the road, you're actually going to use them. You can't. Yeah. So it's less, even less practical. Like, yeah. So the lights are another one. They really are. They, I just, I just think like super cool on a trophy truck. Save, save that, save that money for gas. Something. And this isn't to bash on, you know, again, to having some good driving lights and, and whatever, yeah, like just, just something practical, you know, like, like something that you'll Romer, actually use. I, I, it came with old Hellas. I updated them to actually to Baja designs. I put an LP six. I kept the factory Hella fogs that when I say factory, they were uh earth roamer in the bumper yeah. because I didn't want to really do one. I would have to fabricate brackets and how they mounted was a little obscure. I don't use them. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to take my LP nines off because I would benefit from cooling on Hills more than I would benefit from a second. That's set of another thing lights. too. Lights can really reduce your cooling effectiveness. Yeah. You put a bumper on the front, you put a winch on front, you know, and then you start putting light bars in your grill or big lights in front of impeding the airflow and the, yeah. the, the, or, the directness even, of that. Yeah. Even creating weird vacuums and, mm-hmm. and pressure systems. It's, it's stuff air. to consider. No, so true about the lights. Okay. This next one's kind of fun because it's a little bit contentious okay. because it's the mud terrain thing. Oh, like yeah. I've never, like the mud terrain thing is interesting because when you put a set of mud terrains on your vehicle, they're going to cost more to begin with. They'll be more expensive mm-hmm. than all terrains. They're going to be heavier than all terrains. Typically, mm-hmm. they are going to reduce your fuel economy even more than an all terrain would because of the rolling resistance. They're going to be loud when you put them on new, and then they're going to howl like a banshee after about 20,000 miles yeah. once they start to wear out. You see them all over the place in the desert. You just don't need a mud tire in the desert. Now, if you live in the Pacific Northwest 
it's probably a good idea to have a mud tire. Or you like, live in Kentucky. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Illinois where uh, four wheeling for me going, going off road meant making a, a farmer very angry in his country <laughs> lane. And if you showed up with all terrain tires, you weren't getting through. God, it was like the mud pit on Swanberg road or something like whatever it was like the, the the obstacle mud trains have a purpose totally but just make sure you're using them again not because someone else has them on their vehicle the, the best argument i've ever heard for mud trains was from chris collard used to be editor of oj very accomplished traveler and he was in the 80 series in panama or guatemala or something he, i think it was in guatemala <laughs> yeah. and he was like going to all of these very remote uh, Mayan ruins that were yeah. down there. And I don't think that that, I think that truck had ATs. It did. And kept getting stuck because you're driving through a jungle. Yeah. So if your trip involves. I think uh, it also was impacted by the fact that it had lockers and he didn't know it. So oh. when you have a factory locked 80 series and. I only drove that truck to get beer. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the mud terrains would have made it. You wouldn't need lockers if you had mud terrains. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Arguably. But you know, like there's, there are cases where if you're doing a specific trip where it's going to be grassy and muddy and whatever, like cool, put the mud tires on there. But for us guys in the Southwest, fuel economy goes down, expense goes up, noise goes up. Number one complaint we have with the earth roamer is actually those MPTs. It's when I say the only tire, I don't mean like it's the best choice. I mean, like it is the only tire that fits the vehicle and has the load thing. But if they had that in like a more milder terrain tire, like an AT, and I didn't have these huge lugs, the car would ride better, it would track better. Yeah. Be better and it'd be better on icy roads. It'd be better on wet roads. Yeah. All of those things are. And And they come out of balance. Like mud terrain tires come out of balance. Yeah. And when a vehicle, the tires or the, let's say the wheels are out of balance, that puts more wear on your ball joints, tie rod ends, like all this stuff, which when you're a traveler, generally you don't want to have to change your ball joints in Bolivia. Ball joints in Bolivia, that sounds trendy. Ball joints are a pain to change anywhere. Yeah. You know, like get through your trip. Like I, I'll hear the argument for mud terrains there are, in some situations. Well, there's totally yeah. reasons to have them. It just, if you don't live in a place where there's a lot of mud, yeah. why do that to yourself? Yeah. Again, I think it's, I think it is fashion. Yeah. Like if you're just rolling around my, there's also, there's also some really good, um, hybrid tires. Yeah. There's like, the, they're slightly more aggressive. What are they calling them? They're calling them like the RTs or yeah. like, yeah, they're hybrids. Yeah. I think that stuff like that, that could be a nice makes option. a lot of sense, that especially nice with option. modern tire tech and yeah, totally um, so much better now. Yeah. All right. So this was one that I came up with cause I just, ne- I've literally never understood it. So you have an SUV with two people, an individual and their partner, and they're in a land cruiser and they are pulling a trailer that has a roof tent on the top of it. Mm. I have never understood why somebody would riff on this. Cause I, I got my response. You keep going. I, I have never understood why somebody would tow their roof tent. Just put the roof tent on top of the car. Now there are exceptions to this, yeah. right? So let's say you've got a family of five in the same land cruiser. You probably do need a trailer mm-hmm. to carry all the stuff for your family and to make sure you have enough food. But if you've got a single, a solo traveler or two people in a land cruiser and they're pulling a roof tent, it makes no sense to me. You did mention your retort, which I think is totally valid. But I think that to spend thirty thousand dollars on something that carries the roof tent, carries the roof tent, carries the roof tent that you could just put on your car. Yeah. You could take all those systems that are in that trailer and put them in your vehicle easily. Yeah. And save yourself, let's call it twenty thousand bucks. It's a lot of money. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, fuel I, economy drops in California. You can only drive 55 miles an hour on the highways. There's like all these try backing up a trailer for a quarter mile on a shelf road. You know, like, no, you know what I would do in that situation? I would unhook it and drive away <laughs> crying. Yeah. So it's not saying no trailers. I think if you're going to tow a trailer, it should bring a luxury with it that you cannot. I want to sleep inside of it. That you can't have in your car. It's really like that Patriot X3 is nice. Super like, nice. As Big. much as it's a tent, you're actually living inside of it. Yeah. And you have heat and you have all of that. You have a heater, you've got a little dinette area, you got a table, you got a big, huge queen size bed with a like a regular mattress. Yeah, it has a heater on the yeah. inside or like a teardrop where I stayed in this Escapod teardrop trailer the other day and it was howling wind, 40 mile an hour winds in yeah. outside of Phoenix. And I heard nothing. It was totally silent. Mm. And it's nice. It was super nice. I, I don't personally, I would never tow something that again, didn't offer me, we'll call it the luxury of sleeping inside. It doesn't really make sense. But where I think that trailers like that do make sense is if you want to go out on the weekends and let's say you have a an F-250 trimmer or you've got a stock pickup mm-hmm. truck or, or whatever that is and you don't really want to mess with it and you're building out your trailer, I, I kind of get that. Like I, yeah. I, I kind of understand it. But some of these roof tents now, like some of the iCamper ones, they have these quick disconnects. Yeah. Like you could have that roof tent on there in less time than it would take to hook I think, up. I think trailer. the argument is garages. I've got yeah, a parking sure. up garage at home or maybe you live in a city where... People have sticky fingers yeah. and you want to keep everything in your garage. Like, like I, I see it, but I do agree with you. Like that. highly specialized situation. Or if you've got a family of five and a forerunner, yeah. you probably do need a trailer. Because well, you're at payload your with That's right. people. So right? it's the only way you can add additional payload is yeah. to go against gross combined vehicle weight rating as opposed to just mm. gross vehicle weight I don't, weight yeah. Rating. And I. So if you're looking at a trail, if you're looking at a trailer, it should offer something that you cannot do easily in the vehicle, which yeah. means you should be able to sleep inside it. It should have a heater. Even better, it has a bathroom, like something that mm. literally makes it worthwhile yeah. to haul that thing around with your car and take like the three, four mile per gallon hit and yeah. all the other downsides to towing a trailer. Mm. When I tow this Explore trailer, like I, I'm happy to tow it because it is so comfortable. Yeah. And I yeah, can work, I can work in it. It has a bathroom. I can spend a week working out of it comfortably, heater, mm. air conditioner. It's amazing, but I would never want to do that just to haul around a roof tent. So um, something to think about. Yeah. Don't spend that 20, 30 grand on a trailer that basically is just a roof tent mount. Although I do want an OG AT chaser for some reason. Because they're awesome. Because they're like, I don't know. I think they're super. They are I think s- they're like this OG. Like, I think we're entering this, this period where like overlanding and whatever we're calling it now has been around for long enough that you're starting to kind of get classic stuff in the segment. Yeah, and I'm like sure. super into it. Behind your LJ, that thing oh, would be yeah. so sick. We'll do another podcast on the LJ, but yeah. it's the coolest one in the world. Yes, it is the coolest. LJ. So yeah, doesn't mean don't do the trailer, but think about like, really, am I bringing some benefit with it. Probably, yeah. probably not, especially yeah, yeah. given the expense. Okay. The next one is this, this oversized recovery gear. This one is really interesting to me because people will have, they'll put a 12,000 pound winch on their Wrangler. You want the winch to be 1.5 to two times gross vehicle weight. Yeah. So, and it depends on your use case, but there are reasons for that because the winch will be heavier. The winch will have heavier cable that isn't necessary for the load you'll end up with less cable on the drum. You're going to have a higher amp draw that you don't need. Yep. 
And you can use mechanical advantage in other ways using pulley blocks and other stuff like that. I'll speak on the, the straps and stuff is that if you have a strap that's meant for an earth roamer exactly. and you use it on a forerunner, what ends up happening is that the part you want to, like the strap should always be considered sacrificial. That is what you actually want to fail. What you do not want to fail are the bolts or the welds on your recovery point that then turns into a projectile. Yeah. Right. So or, you, or damages your frame. Yeah. Like that's one of the reasons why yeah. when we were doing the whole recovery kit, Max Rex, we actually started doing fused like fused soft shackles because so many people in Australia were like, again, throwing the, you know, the 20,000 kilogram billion pound strap on their Hilux and it was ripping bumpers off. And one of the reasons why it rips the bumper off is because the strap is designed for a vehicle with a specific gross vehicle weight. So if you go with the four inch recovery strap that's designed for a super duty and you use it with your Suzuki Samurai, you are not going to get that 15 to 20% stretch out of it. You will with the super duty because Mm -hmm. it's not going to be able to pull it. You're not going to be able to stretch it. So you're not going to get the kinetic benefit of the strap, which is going to put a significant increased load on all of the connection points and the recovery will be less effective. So use the recovery equipment, use the size winch, the winch rope, the recovery gear that's appropriate to your vehicle or the vehicles that you travel with. And you'll end up with spending less money. The kit will weigh less. You'll end up with better recovery results. And most important, you know, you're not causing a whole bunch of safety concerns along the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's, a smart one. Yeah, that's a good one. And then uh, this is the last that I have on the list because it's it's your favorite. Is the, which one's this? It's the overkill electrical systems. Oh, oh God, it drives me crazy. <sighs> so this is, we're gonna end with the coup de gras. I guess like what, maybe two years ago, three years ago, it started becoming, you know, lithium started to come onto the scene. And with lithium batteries, they have a lot of advantages. They're much more energy dense and you know, they can, their depth of discharge is near 100% versus an AGM or um, any kind of flooded lead acid battery is about 50%. Yeah, the lithiums have controllers on them. Yeah. So they lith- protect the battery. Lithium's great. And the, the problem is that on some alternators, they're not going to consistently charge. So you need a DC to DC. You know, basically is just taking a little bit more amperage from from the, you know, the vehicle when mm-hmm. it's running and it's upgrading it to a higher voltage with, with less amperage. So, you know, you'll see 20, 30, 40 amp lithium chargers. Well, then people started putting trailer systems in their forerunner or their Tacoma. And I mean, I was, I was one of those people. Um, you know, I put a full system, like it had like four or maybe six water tank outputs. It had like all of these different things. And it was like such a problem. Like, remember you guys took it up to Utah. It didn't work. And like, <laughs> like the little, the little clips, even though they had screws, like you have to shoehorn these things, you know, so you and they're end, heavy and they're big, they're heavy. And you end up with two of these things that are about like 18 inches long by like 10 inches high. And then you have to shove this somewhere. And then all of the ensuing cables, not a problem when you're putting it into a caravan or a trailer or, you know, some kind of expedition camper or, or something like that. And those things need to have power management at that level of complexity because they're complex systems. But most people end up putting this, some of these systems by the time they're installed are $10,000. Yeah. I mean, there's five grand of just parts. Yeah. So oftentimes, and the labor is expensive because it has to be done right. And there's some shops that are doing really, 
good work, but they end up with like a really overkill thing to turn on like a three watt LED light and to run their fridge and things like that. And I just like, why? I Again, I literally, I just don't understand why people are putting it's ju- it must just trailer the ju- the jewelry systems. Thing. Yeah. Is it because it's trendy? And again, you start to trend in this like fashion accessory and a fashion accessory that's very overkill. There's nothing. Well, can- and it's not even just like we talked about the recovery stuff. That was overkill problem. This is unnecessary complexity. Like, yeah. It's and, actually defeating and, the purpose. I think, and I think what I have experienced in most cases around power management systems is that within a very short period of time that they don't work. Mm. And you just, you always know the guy in camp because he's fiddling and he's pissed off and his solar panel's not charging and, and his, and, or his, or he goes out and his auxiliary battery's flat because it hasn't been working. And then his fridge is shutting, shutting off and his, and his food spoiling. It's like you're describing me with my gladiator. Yeah. So I, I literally, I would get to camp and like, oh, the diesel heater is not working. Why is the diesel heater not working? Oh, because it blew a fuse on this thing yep. and it, then it did this. And then you're go with the most simple solution first. And there are degrees of that. I, we were talking before the podcast about when I got to spend time with Tom Shepard in the UK and he was showing me his G wagon that he had driven all over Northern Africa. And I said, do you have an auxiliary battery? He says, I do, because I want to make sure that I can start the vehicle if the main battery fails. And I do run some accessories mm. off of that, like my radios and my GPS units. And I says, well, how do you manage that? And he flips the seat forward. And there was a mechanical, like a literally a, a dial. One of those that, blue C things. That's yeah. right. It's like a blue C dial. And it has a position that says off, which disconnects both batteries completely mm. from the system. So that's now a, a security device. You turn it in the off position, you can't start the car, nothing works. Or you could go into position one, which is just day-to-day driving. Or you could go into position two, which was now only your house systems. Or you could combine them where it said all. And he said the reason why he does that it is it makes him pay attention to his battery system. He checks on stuff. Yeah. He checks the gauges. He's being He's participating in the process. Now, the next step up from that is just a very simple DC to DC charging system. They're very small and compact. They're not that expensive. They take power from your alternator and they provide 20, 25, 30 amps. Yeah, there's a lot of great options out there for them. And a lot of times they have solar power inputs and they are super simple. They're very inexpensive. They can be installed, maintained, and serviced. And then there are like also very simple ones that just use starter solenoid uh, relays. And they just, once the, um, the voltage hits a certain level mm. from the alternator, it combines it yeah. and then it's charging. Yeah. So really going simple, I think is the key on those. Yeah. Things. I, I see a lot of people that are doing, you know, like the wedge style campers, they, they go so overkill on this stuff and they, they end up spending, you know, an equivalent amount of money to a, a four wheel camper having a trailer or, or, or something. And they have a quarter of the space. Like we had that AT summit on the gladiator and it was, it was really good. Like it was well insulated. It was well made. Like I, I truthfully enjoyed it. The mistake that I made was deviating too far from stock. Yeah. Like from AT, it came with, you know, kind of some, some power switches. It came with USB charger. It came with a, you know, a little light, lighter, a like light, yeah. you know, you could have a fan put in, you could have all that. And then you literally had like a cable quick disconnect. If you wanted to take the camper off, you could, it all went downhill from that. Because what I tried to do is I tried to turn what was a simple camper, you know, like a wedge camper is inherently simpler than sliding, camper. a sliding camper. Yeah, sure. Let's, it, let's just build on that. And you're trying to really get the slide in camper, you end up spending more money and you end up with, I had a five foot bed 
a lot of guys that are doing these wedge campers have five, five and a half foot beds. You can't put 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound bag. (laughs) So, so you end up with like, Oh, is that storage? No, that's an electrical compartment. Oh, is that storage? No, that's another electrical compartment. Oh, what's that? Well, that's where I keep my battery. Oh, so where do you keep your stuff? (laughs) And then you end up building cabinets out and then you end up building this out and then then you're putting a heater and then you're overpayload. And then you've spent 30 or 40 grand and you should have just bought the slide in camper. Like yeah. it's, I, I mean, people like projects. I love projects. I, I, I enjoy doing some of it, but, but this is another thing that people are told that they need that they don't. Yeah. They, they see and it. It I think goes that back to like, that's the key is that you don't need, you can buy the $70 blue C switch ACR. Yeah. And you can click, 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 and you're done. Or yeah, they're at the blue C ACR, which is super simple. Yeah. Cause I think that, that one, that, that one has an auto setting. It does have an auto setting. Yeah. That one's very cool yeah. and very inexpensive, a couple hundred bucks mm-hmm. and you're done. I think it's really about making sure that we're not overcomplicating the vehicle and we're not just monkey see monkey do yeah. on something that we see on Instagram and that we save that money for traveling. Exactly. Matt, you're going to have your wrap up. But for me, my wrap up is there's nothing wrong with doing any of this stuff. You can do all, everything on our list. Enjoy it. Have a wonderful time. Take all the pleasure that comes from a hobby that you love. Yeah. But what we do want to... What I was hoping to achieve with this podcast was that for those that were on the fence, for those yeah. that were unsure if they should spend the money on these things, or they're not sure what they should spend money on... You don't need to spend money on any of it. A stock 200 series Land Cruiser will take you around the world. There's nothing to be done. Just go and enjoy travel if that's your goal. If you enjoy building vehicles and you enjoy accessories and you enjoy making something that's a reflection of your personality or whatever, you know, that's yeah. fine too. Yeah. But but we real I really wanted this to be about if you go down this list and you spend all that money, you're going to spend 60, 70, 80 grand of stuff on a vehicle that you don't need. Yeah. And I'd love for people to spend, you know, even spend half of the that, time traveling, half yeah. of that on actually traveling. Yeah. Many things in life for me come down to need versus want. When people ask me questions, that's a, that's a really particular thing for me. When they say, I need this, my mind defaults to simple, simplify because my experience as a traveler has taught me that simple is almost always better yeah. than complex. And I think in all of life, Gen- generally speaking, right? <laughs> yeah. So when somebody comes up to and they're like, oh yeah, I need to get lights and I need to get this and I need to get this and I need to get this. I'm like, you don't need it if you want it. Totally all go in, for it, man. Like, enjoy it. like there's, there's things that I want and there's things that I buy that not like, it doesn't always have to make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I think most of but, the things that I buy, even though I'm, I live very minimalist. Yeah. Almost everything that I buy, I, I don't need. I am not a minimalist. <laughs> Mic drop here, folks. If you were, if you were wondering yeah. if Matt yeah, yeah. was a minimalist or not. No, but, and again, I think the thing is that this podcast isn't directed towards the builder or the non-traveling overlander. Like they're almost just a different breed now, Yeah. but don't let the, you know, we're, we're trying to create an audience and, and, and things for travelers. That is what we are passionate about. Yep. And what I like to think that this podcast is actually about, it's one of the few remaining like actual overland travel things. Like it's not, it's weird. It's, it's, it's this fine line. And there was, and there's no judgment. There's there some messages that I had that I'm like, Oh, well, you know, you're, you're being really gatekeepy on this or whatever. I'm like, yeah, a little bit, a hundred percent, but I'm also talking this overland landing word has always been so ambiguous and it's been 
very unclear. If you were the builder, you know, the non-traveling overlander, like I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. I will say like, recognize what you need and what you don't need. Yeah. And then be careful if like, the lights, over, over preaching it to others. Yeah. Hopefully to the travelers out there, which again is, is who this podcast is for. Hopefully there is something of value there. Oh, I think so. And, and it's really, like you said, needs versus wants. Yeah. And making sure that we're spending more money traveling than we are on the truck. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the message. Yeah. Cause if, if and it's just, fun, it was fun for us to riff on all these. I mean, and again, I, I want to close with this. Everything on the list I have done wrong. Yeah, me too. So I'm literally actively doing, I'm literally just trying. Maybe if we save one, Matt, if we can just save one, save one. <laughs> yeah. Make all it. So thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time.